You are with Aisha Elliott. I am Black Girl from Eugene, and welcome to my show. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about forgive and forget. Um, it is something that, for me, is uh, complicated, <laughs> and I do think that it goes along with personality, obviously, and it goes along with trauma. It goes along with what you feel your boundary, how you've set your boundaries. It goes along with a lot of stuff, but. I also want to talk about it on a bigger scale of forgive and forget as the demand from the white community has on black folks. And then we can talk about it on a personal level as well. You guys are getting me today because, you know, COVID. And I don't have, I didn't want to invite anybody to the office, especially if I can't have my own family at my house. So I figured I will be here by myself. And I, of course, masked up on the way in and out. Um, so that there's that but next week i'm going i have fixed up a way i finally figured out how to split screen my live videos and so we will have a group from salem called black joy on the show and they're doing a lot of good work in the community and black women and it's women of color it's bipoc folks i actually don't know if there's men or um gender fluid folks in their group so i will ask that of course but they will be joining me next week, and so I'm super excited about that. Um, so I did have a couple announcements because I wanted to give a shout out to the Boba Head on campus. The little, the Bartista, I don't know what to call them, the, the folks who make the drinks, they recognized my sweatshirt because I was wearing my black girl from Eugene sweatshirt, and they recognized it, and they loved it, and they were like super fans of the show, and I was so touched, and we like had a big screen fest, and it was super cute, and I love it. And I just wanted to give a shout out to both of them. Hey, thank you for watching my show. I appreciate you both. Um, and I didn't want to go without saying that that was a super awesome moment for me that you guys recognized my sweatshirt. It felt awesome. <laughs> um, also, this week on my Patreon, and thank you to all of my Patreons for supporting me, I'm going, I wrote an essay and a lecture for mental health in the perinatal um, community, how it's affect, racism affecting um, uh black BIPOC women, well, mostly black women and their children and uh, black uh, gender fluid folks and their infants. And I wrote it, it's great. I'm going to read it to my Patreons on a private video at the $10 tier. Um, if you guys are interested, if you just want to support my show at $5, patreon.com forward slash black girl from Eugene underscore one. I will definitely leave it in my show notes. Um, I also have an indigenous uh, land tax that we can help in uh, for the folks Hopi and Navajo down in Arizona who we need to thank graciously for flipping that state and letting us get out of the tyranny of, of um, Trump and there is a fund they have they're they're being devastated like devastated by court by COVID and uh, like something like 87%, it's some crazy statistic of how many people are sick on the Navajo Nation there. So I will leave that, uh, that link to where you can go to their COVID relief and just drop a few dollars there. Definitely during this weekend, this week of mourning. Um, I, I don't call it Thanksgiving, I call it the day of mourning. And I believe the original native nation that was inflicted with the pilgrims <laughs> that that faithful uh day which we know is that's not exactly how it went down back in 1612 but anyway um 
they don't consider it either. They consider it the day of mourning, and so that's what I do. And my family, unfortunately, won't be together, like everyone, hopefully, who's following the, um, the guidelines. So it's an extra day but of mourning. So we are going to have a, a different kind of special thing to do. So I'm just trying to encourage us to reach out to folks in the Navajo Nation and the Hopi Nation carried us through in Arizona. So that link will be in my show notes for sure. Also on the podcast, um, it will be there as well. Um, so that was that. I want to say that. So anyway, forgive and forget. All right. So um, I have my, okay, so y'all may not know, some of y'all know, but I have a son who is probably the nicest dude that you'll ever meet, like probably the nicest guy ever. And I don't know how that happened because I am not the nicest person. And he, <laughs> he, is, he is, and I, when I say nice, and I, I mean like in politeness, but I also mean in kindness, and I also mean in graciousness. And I also mean just in the, the big of his heart. Hey, Dad. Uh, hey, Carrie. Um, yes, you're welcome. I will get that link on as soon as I can. Hey, Naima. Yeah, uh, Anna, literally the nicest. You can, I mean, like, just the great, most gracious guy. So we had a conversation yesterday. And this is why I, cause I was literally like, I don't know what to talk about. Because I don't really want to give, you know, air quote, Thanksgiving a whole lot of time. Because like I said, I consider the day of mourning. Um, and... Then I was, you know, kind of feeling sluggish and thinking about not having fam around. And I was talking to my son who, like, at 25 years old, um, literally gives me all kinds of insight and knowledge because he has been um, so, he, he and I have been so tight since like, literally day one. Like, I've always called him my number one, not because he's my firstborn, but because he's my right hand. Like, we have been, you know, through it. Um, as of in the last five years, we went through some really heavy, heavy transformational um, trauma. And transformational trauma, even to our relationship, just because of the, the nature of everything that was going on, and just because of growth, but um, from like, like surviving those type of things. And so um, we were having this conversation last night about forgiving and forgetting. So there was a, a moment where, and I don't know that a lot of you know, that I was, um, he and I were attacked by police. We were part of the Black Lives Movement, meaning that like AP took our story and across the nation, um, we were, we had all kinds of coverage. It's unfortunately everywhere, public knowledge. But anyway, so we were, we were attacked by Eugene Police Department and ended up in, uh, that I was, that I was actually physically, so physically hurt, it took me almost two and a half years to recover physically emotionally longer um, and then it, it continued on to a, either deeper physical issues that I just recovered for so it t a total of about four years of recovery from the attack that we got we went to court we lost the court case due to racism <laughs> I mean you know bottom line racism and um, so we there was a person that we both knew me and my son we knew and this person had recently became a police officer um, and this person is like super cool, you know, uh, like we love this person and their son, their sons would come to my house as if they were my sons. They were not even knocking on the door, just walk right the hell in. Um, and refrigerator, you know, you know, when you have the extra bonus child from the neighbor and everything. So this is what their son was. He and I, this adult person were friends. I mean, you know, we had 
chemistry, we meaning that like we we understood each other, we supported each other in what we did, did with the kids, and and we were you know at the time single parents like raising kids up, um, and uh, so anyway, when the thing was going down with my son and I, um, I told the officer who was not foaming at the mouth trying to to tase a black man, the one who was actually talking. Um, I told him, please call my friend, and I said his name. I said, I promise you that we are not anyone that be, to be concerned of. He will explain what's going on with Q. It's someone that you trust. You can call this person. So obviously they did not. But And I was just reaching, trying to find some help uh, in the middle of a very uh, tense situation. So when court time came, we called on this person to be a character witness and to just say that there is nothing about any of us that would be a violent, you know, there was no, there's no violence there. Even in the situation that we were in, there's not a bone in anybody's body that would be violent towards someone. Um, well, he refused to step up into the court or even write a documented statement. Um, and my son being the beloved human being that he is <laughs> was like uh, he was like guess who I talked to this is our conversation yesterday and I was like who and he says the friend I was like oh great <laughs> he's like mom are you still feeling salty and I'm like I'm not salty I'm not salty I just have have you know drew my line of my boundary like I have cro he he I, I'm a, a boundary 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 and so my son is like, of course, because like I told you at the beginning of this, the kindest, not nice. I mean, he's nice. Like, you know, the politeness nice, but he's kind, right? Um, so he was like, well, you know, we got to talk, you know, we got to somehow forgive him for that. And I was like, hmm, do I? Like, <laughs> but do I? And then I thought, I do forgive him. I don't forget it, right? So the forget part is, is um, and the forgive part is where we started going on back and forth. And then I started thinking about it in a bigger context of like black folks in America. I started talking about thinking about the election and how many people voted. I cannot get over, like I can get over it, right? But it's how many people voted for Trump. Um, and then I started thinking of it bigger and bigger in this forgive and forget in the totality of, of blackness in the United States, how we have to like, forgive these ongoing onslaught of racism so that we can move on with our lives. But do we ever forget? And then the tension that comes along when we look at people who are forgetting, right? Or the, for those people who are not necessarily salty taking their life on, bringing on this, this idea of, of um, tragedy, but also of betrayal, right? Um, that how much that we carry that along with us and, and are are expected to forgive it and I don't you know I think there's a lot to say about what we value and a lot to say about self-care and um, about you know allowing what you can into your life that's all true and dandy when it comes to personal uh, forgive and forgiveness uh, and I, I'll talk to that a little bit but I'm I when I thought about the the bigger consequences of the African American people black people in the United States it becomes much more complicated than that. Yet it is absolutely um, put on, put, put upon us to forgive and forget, right? The atrocities of our of 
what's going on every single day, right? Just forgive and forget. So anyway, back to the story. So me and my son were talking about this and he was like, so this guy, basically for me, it was about perception. It was about my, how I perceived our relationship. And this, I want, we will will extrapolate this to, to the nation as well. But my perception of what I believed our relationship to be. Um, meaning that our relationship and friendship was one that we both cared for our children. I mean, like cared for our children. We, sh- we swapped, you know, watching kids and we moved for years, for years. I've known this person's child since they were like in sixth grade. My son and him are both 25 years old. Um, so the truth of it is, no, Julia, you're right. So the truth of it is, is that um, because of the history that we had, my son, with his kind self, had decided that that history was more important than the, the lack of, and see, I'm going to be totally jaded on this. I'm trying like not to be, <laughs> but the lack of um, strength or character it took for him to stand up for us. So let's stop there for a second because I do want to rewind and I want to say that I agree with my son with the idea that this person was in a very difficult situation. He was a new police officer within a year. He was like a year in, something like that. And he was, as I saw it, contending with the blue wall. New officer, how is he gonna stand up against other officers and just say these people did not deserve to be treated this way? She actually, I believe what she said, you know, meaning me, I believe that she did all that she could to keep the situation what it was. There was no way in retrospect that he would have done that because of who and how he worked. And for me, because I am, you know, that person who, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I, I will do that. If I, if it's value is wrong, I can't not say something. I mean, but that's my personality. We can't put that onto other people. So he and I, my son and I, were talking about the fact that he had to decide what was best for his family, his life, his work situation, and he decided to not stand up for us. He decided to let it go. But what he didn't do, and the part that was was betrayal to me, is that, and I'm sure it was the behest of his lawyer, or the lawyers for the police officers, but what he didn't do is contact me. And he didn't say, look, this is what I'm up against. You know I love y'all, but you know who I am. And this is what I'm up against. I would be there if I could be there, but this is like my life and I can't. I actually would have understood that because I know what he's up against. And I know why he decided to be a police officer. I know what he was trying to do. But what he didn't do is give me benefit right of my experience he decided to leave no words said right and for and i don't know what that really truly meant but it was something that i felt was a disconnection of our connection my perception of the relationship was not as important as a phone call to say look my lawyer said not contact you. I know us better, so I'm gonna tell you what's up. I can't do this because I'm up against a wall. 
a blue wall. You know what it's about. I love you guys and I wish you all luck. You know, be good. Do whatever, whatever. I would have been like, cool. Thank you. I'm sorry that you feel and are doing, having to do this with your work and all this kind of stuff. But what a difference it would have made if he would have just called me. So my, that whole time frame, I lost a lot of people. You know, when you go through a, a really tragic time in your life, you change as a person. The people around you see you differently. Some people can hang, some people can't. Some, and, and to be honest, I don't think I have one single friend that was closely related, closely, closely like next to me in that time frame that I still have now. And to be honest, it was the hardest time of my life ever. Like all of, and I've been through some, some itch, right? It's the hardest time of my life. And it was the loneliest time in my life. So however it went down, the, the forgive and forgetness part for me was I can't forgive the lack of, of love and humanity for what he decided that wasn't, wasn't enough to just say out loud. I see you. My hands are tied. I'm going to pray for you. Whatever he wanted to say, but just to say, you're not here alone. I'm here with my hands tied behind my back. I see you, right? That's the part I can't forget. Now, as now my son, of course, like I said, I named him, you know, his middle name is Cahill, the friend of God, because I truly believe that boy is closely tied <laughs> to, the, to the higher energy of this, of this realm. Um, and so I really, truly believe this boy is. But he was talking to me and was just like, you know, mom, you have to kind of think about that it was your perception that thought that the relationship was, was that strong. And I thought to myself like, dang, you, didn't, you don't believe that? And yet you're willing to forgive and forget. You're willing to forgive him and actually forget about what he didn't do for you. Just because like he was, my son's able to look at him and say, hey, he's human. He made mistakes. He is um, not a bad person at his core. And what I went through, although he didn't step up like I would have liked him to, I survived and uh, no hard feelings. I cannot, okay? <laughs> me and my son went back and forth and back and forth. He was trying to convince me to be a better person, y'all. I cannot. I was like, look, look. I understand what you're saying, but let me see what you guys are saying. But of course, it's how white supremacy in the system continues to thrive. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I'm getting to. You guys are, yo, yo, y'all are on top of it. All of my, okay, people who are on my podcast, the live feed is going off and they are having this conversation that I am saying, y'all are here. We are here together. We are seeing each other eye to eye. I'm loving this, I, this, this conversation okay so I just want to continue to say my son was trying to get me to be a kinder person and I had to insert myself about around boundaries there's this boundary that you have to have um, I see people like 
if you are if it's it's a character it's a character that i that i want to be around there's a character that i admire um there's a character of strength um i even have a little story i tell people when i do my anti-racism conversations about a friend of mine um who what who is a white woman well she's a, a jewish woman and she always talks to me and we talk to each other all the time about how she and i'm air quoting passes as um as not uh jewish and that uh that it you know we we went back and forth about all kinds of things at work and she, and we used to work together and she was someone who worked with me on race and equity work through the state like we were like shoulder to shoulder writing um, proposals and ideas and trying to get things mandated so after i stopped working there um she there was a couple years ago uh, about a year and a half has gone by and um she calls me and says look there was a situation after george floyd and we all got together all the leadership got together and we all worked on it we all talked about it and we said hey like look um we gotta do something about this race <laughs> we gotta do something about race we gotta stand up the state's gotta you know this this or Eugene's chapter, we gotta like stand up for Black Lives Matter. Somehow we gotta get more involved. And my friend, who knows the seven, eight years that I worked there, that that's all I was doing. And that she was next to me doing it for a good four of those years. So there was no black people in the room, as per usual. And uh, she decided not to say anything. But what she said she was thinking was that Aisha was doing this work and all she did was get pushback. All she did was get no's. And she just kept working and kept working and kept working. And I was infuriated. I couldn't believe that they were acting like we had never talked about this stuff. But what she didn't do is say that shit out loud. She didn't say it out loud, okay? So I was mad at her. <laughs> and I said to her, what, why didn't you say that out loud? Why do you need me to stand next to you to have integrity in this work? This work is not for me. This work is for the better good of human, of humanity, right? So there is this situation where, yeah, was it the right time? Was it the right space? Was it the right thing to say? Was it the right thing to do? That's for her white privilege to figure out. And we had a good conversation about it. I mean, I love my friend. And this was a moment where I could forgive and forget, right? I could forgive. I didn't forget. Like I told you, I'm working on it. So this was a moment for me that I thought to myself, you know, this is a forgive and forget moment. I can forgive her for be having that moment of weakness. And she has to look at her investment into anti-racism. Because I don't think, I don't think it's very strong because she needed to have a black person with her to validate her, feel, her, her, her moment of, of standing up against white supremacy as a white woman, and she couldn't do it. We talked about it. This is something she already knows. We've, talked, we've had this conversation. Um, so I can forgive and forget that. I'm not gonna forget it. Like I said, I can forgive it. What happened with my son and I is different. This was institutional. I needed someone to stand up to the institution 
on the behalf of my family, on the behalf of myself, and on the behalf of someone that he knew. And he was intimidated by the institution in which he was a part of. I forgot to let y'all know is he's mixed Latino. Um, and, and Latino and white. And um, the fear of the institution for him was enough the fear of his livelihood was enough, which, you know, of course. But when it came down to character, I couldn't forget it. I couldn't forget that. I'll forgive him. I do forgive him, some sort of. <laughs> I do forgive him for the decision that he made, because I get it. I do get it. Um, but I can't forget it. So, which, what, what does that mean, right? And of course, my, my son, who, the, the emotional intelligence out the roof, tells me, well, mom, let's define forgiveness and let's define, you know, forgetness, right? And I had to bring up the fact that, you know, I can forgive you, meaning that when I see you on the street, I'll say hello. I, I have civility, just like black people do every single day. We go to work, we say hello. We do our job, we do it well. We go out to eat, we do everything white folks need us to do to be accepted, you know? We talk quieter, you know. We, you know, try not to bring 511 people with us wherever we go. Sometimes, you know, depends. Um, you know, we, we get our we take we bring our hair down a little couple notches, you know. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff that we do to just be able to be present at the workplace, present in the day place, the restaurant, so that we don't get messed with by the folks who are supporting white supremacy to their very last moment, right? So with this friend, it was just where I cannot forget it, meaning that now I know who you are. Now I know. And from now on, I must treat you accordingly, right? Because for me, if my life is in danger, which it was, I can't call on you. It's not even a judgment call. It's just a character call. I don't believe that what he did was really wrong. But what I do believe is how he left us is what told us more than anything else. So if I extrapolate, extrapolate this out, right, to black folks in the United States of America, our white counterparts, it's not our job and it's not even in our energy to tell our white counterparts how much we need them to understand themselves. This is not something that is out of the reach of white folks to contemplate other than listening very deeply to the words of black people everywhere and we've not been quiet ever so this investment into anti-racism right this investment black folks have been invested in our own survival <laughs> since we were introduced to this country um, I wrote down, like, I couldn't remember all the wars before slavery was 
uh, abolished in 1865, but I believe there was like three other wars, Revolutionary War, of course the Civil War was when it was abolished, and then there was one war before that, but I can't remember which, I don't know, I'm not a historian buff, but anyway. Um, all of those wars, I remind you, we were all they're, they're enslaved people at that time. Every single one of those wars, enslaved people were utilized. Enslaved people fought as if it would change enslaved people's trajectory in this country. Knowing that after whether or not we lost our life or their life or not, that we would not be, have full rights as a citizen. So what I'm trying to say to you is that black folks, when we want to forgive and forget, or we are being asked to forgive and forget white folks, white supremacy, institutional racism, because we've learned how to benefit from it to some degree, this is not due to white people. That's what I want to understand. We're, we survived because we've always been, we've always survived. We've always worked for the greater good because we knew if that was good, we'd be better, right? We can move forward. We can take what we can get and we can move forward. It, it's, like a, it's, like, it's like survival, but as if white folks don't understand it through their privilege. And what I'm saying is black folks and white folks in this country, when we're talking about forgiving and forgetting, we have not forgotten. It's nothing to forgive literally still very present day situations, very present day issues. So what's the problem? With the story that I just told you about my son and my friend or, or our friend um, and forgive and forgiveness, what happened? What happened in our relationship when it got rough? Trust was broken. But in my perception, I thought we had trust. I thought I could trust. Now, what my son so gently points out is that perhaps I painted the relationship into something that it wasn't. Maybe I should have never trusted him in that way. So there I would not have had an expectation that he would support us like with high character. So let's bring it back to black folks and white folks. Why is there an expectation that black folks trust white people without question or doubt? When we're talking about moving forward into an anti-racist position, we can't jump past the atrocities that are currently established and happening. We can't do it. There's not... It, it, there is an understanding that we have to, black folks, BIPOC folks, have to push towards an entity. That even our white families, or our, our white families, our white friends, white folks that we love, are not, are pushing back on us unintentionally by not naming the thing that's in, the, that's in between us. White supremacy. If you can't name how you're benefiting from the system and actually look to deconstruct it, here are black folks doing all the work again, right? Here we are, like soldiers in a war, doing that work, doing that work, and still trying to convince the people that in power 
that there's value in us working together. And then when it's all said and done, and the war is done, and the white folks got their shit back, where are the black folks at again? Where are we recognized? Where are we benefiting? How, did the tr how was the trust broken? But then again, how was our perception that we might move forward honest and true? Are we all like just optimists to begin with? Like my dad always says, a two cradle theory, right? Are we coming from a position, black folks, BIPOC folks, of eternal hope and understanding? I don't know. I'd like to say we are of higher, <laughs> we are of higher being that way. But that does not elude forgiveness. That does not elude the forgetfulness. The thing is, is that we shouldn't have to forgive anyone who will not accept that they have done wrong. Now, that's me and my personality. I like accountability, okay? Accountability. And I value someone's humility. I value work done to progress your own growth. The truth of it is, the whole thing seems to be that the white community wants to have a certain amount of immunity. But that, that doesn't work. That's of low character. That, doesn't, that does not give accountability. You may not be absolved. Black people are supposed to carry this weight like we did on the three wars before we were even given our freedom and just accept that that is the work that we are here to do. That is unacceptable. How do we, how have we forgiven white folks for the atrocities that they uphold by just not listening, just not hearing it, not critically thinking, but in truth, not standing up. And the truth of it is, is that in this last election, it didn't mean that you even had to show your face. You All you have to do is put down a pin and say, I am not going for racism and xenophobia and sexism and, and you know, hatred. And uh, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, I get better taxes on my business, but this is ridiculous. You couldn't do that. Having a hard time forgiving, thinking about how do we continue moving forward as we have always done without naming the damn elephant in the room. How do we keep doing this? And now I know how, of course, the same reason that my friend at work did it. She had to, she was uncomfortable. You know, she wasn't gonna make a ripple. She was a, rip, a ripple in the, in the status quo. It, it, it's not that bad. Um, but I think we all know it is that bad, all right? We can't keep this cognitive dissonance, even for black folks. We can't, we gotta say it out loud. It's not, institutional racism is not okay. It's not, it's not going away because the folks who uphold institutional racism, who benefit from it, are afraid to stand up to it. 
the privilege that they feel will follow them through the room, the, uh, the, 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 the shadow of doubt that will follow them through the room is too much to bear. Now y'all know where I'm about to go with that. Because black folks been having that shadow follow us around for I don't even know how long. And look where we are today. Look, all I'm saying is that we weren't taught to read and write to begin with. After we were stolen, after we were sold, after we were prisoners of war, after we were commodity, after we, all of it, we were then psychologically traumatized ongoing to this day, got culturally, racially gaslighted. Somehow we find grace. Somehow we discovered history, our history. Somehow we critically thought about that couldn't possibly be true, that my existence started as an enslaved person and there isn't anything past that. Those white folks can read and write, we gonna read and write, period. <laughs> the, we, I know we have community, we have love, we have connectivity to the ancestors, we have each other, we have a sense of belonging and a sense of righteousness. We're going to grow from there. Is it just because it has never gotten so bad for white folks that they just can't do it? And then black folks, because we're used to doing it, we're just supposed to forgive it? I don't know, maybe. That's not my style. I'm spoiled, you know? I don't do all that. <laughs> I need you to step up into your uncomfortability. So the story I started off with, you know, um, I do not forget what he did. And I guess the conversation, and my son did want to come on the show, and he will come on the show, but he wanted me to explore the idea that maybe I don't forgive him either. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, like, when you set a boundary and you just go, you know what, not you, um, I don't, it's not that I don't think I don't forgive him. I think it's that I don't, because uh, I don't have a feeling around it anymore, meaning, like, I don't cry. I'm not, like, it doesn't hurt um, like it used to hurt, not just for him, but the whole situation. And um, so I feel like the forgiving part for a lot of people during that time has, has healed. Uh, but the forgetting part, I think it's to our benefit that we don't forget. I think it's to our benefit that we make boundaries, that we act accordingly. And the truth of it is, is that black folks are, and, and I'm not talking about BIPOC people right now, I'm actually talking about black people, are the shining example of the ability to rise above nothing. I mean, rise above giving nothing. Rise above all that can be thrown at you to make a whole strand of DNA crack. We have risen above that. We are, we are thriving in spite of white supremacy, right? But this is important to understand the forgive and forget um, perspective because we're, white folks, the institution of whiteness is asking black folks to forget it. Asking, uh, asking BIPOC people 
black, indigenous, people of color, with each of our atrocities being separate, each of our atrocity and trauma and terrorism that we have endured being separate and inflicting our communities in different ways, even having to put our names together as if it's one big thing is white supremacy. It's a shorthand of all of our trauma. But if we start, we know white people, like I've said this so many times, we know white people better than they will ever know us. So we also know that we have to make this so that we can live here. <laughs> we end up to make it so white folks can swallow it. We gotta make it so we can talk about it out loud and not get beat down and arrested, right? That's real in 2020. I mean, I told y'all a couple of episodes back that I got censored on Facebook for, for my name, black girl. So I got, we gotta make it so white folks can take it, right? But yet we're told by everything we do to forgive and forget. We are not forgiving, and we are not forgetting. Everyone has their own, their own capacity of forgiveness. I don't, I often wonder if I, as I, when I was younger, I definitely was cancel culture. I'd be like, ooh, boop, cut, scissors, chop, chop. Like I'm, what'd you say? Cut, like I would, I'm done. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't agree, cut. That was definitely me in my 20s. I, I was not trying to have any kind of conversation with people who I disagreed with or they disagreed with me. It was time to cut you. <laughs> now, of course, as we grow up and we understand that we have connection, that even people who don't agree with you might have something to say that is beneficial to understanding where they're coming from speaking to them in a curiosity way so they can better think about where they're coming from, understanding that we may not always be right, even though we are, we are living within our morality and our value system, but we gotta recognize the value system here. We're a human, it's not the same. This election has let us know that this country's values are split right down the middle, and it all that lands on the, the, the backs of black people. BIPOC folks, and we're still arguing about it in 2020. When do we get to get to the part, part of forgiving and forgetting? We're still recognizing whether or not there's a problem. We're not recognizing that. I'm talking about white folks, okay? So there has to be some conversation that white folks are not having with each other or being nice and polite and not willing to stop the, the atrocity of institutional racism because it will cost them it will cost them something but what is it costing us as people of color as black folks as indigenous folks to continue to forgive and forget i am not inciting like able to be upset or mad or fight about it but i want I am encouraging accountability. I'm encouraging us to look at our white friends, look at our white family, and say, can we have a constructive conversation about cognitive dissonance and my existence in your life? That's all. I wish I could have talked to people, you know, uh, or this friend I talked to you about earlier in the show, um, and about the boundary that I had was the, the, the level of, of value that I had put on my perception of a relationship. 
I literally, the time for us to have that conversation has passed. I have made a decision on my own for my own uh, mental health uh, when I was trying to, when I was actively recovering from everything that happened uh, mentally, spiritually, physically, that the boundary would be that our relationship was done. So when you move on and we're living with and within our society together all the time, there's going to be levels of situations where we have to say, we're not doing this with y'all. And there's another part of us and, and that we have that white folks need to say is that I need to do better and I'm not doing this shit with y'all. Meaning not black folks, but white folks who don't get it. Those those whatever percentage, fifty per, freaking percent of this country of seventy eight million people or seventy six million people who voted for Trump, those are your family members, y'all. Those are your homies, those are the people you work with. If you don't believe me, then there's the problem. A black woman is trying to tell you that it's everywhere. Okay? When it's hard for you to say that it matters that your company or it matters that your job or it matters that your coworker or it matters that your grocer or it matters that your pharmacist is, is anti-racist, and if, if they are not, then you're willing to go somewhere else, then if, it, if that's not what you're willing to do, then you're not invested in the work. And I can't, don't ask black folks to forgive and or forget that you decided it wasn't worth switching pharmacists. <laughs> Come on, man. There is a way to fight institutional racism by where you put your dollar. Ask more questions. You're asking black folks to just trust. Trust what? Trust what? What in this country's history have white folks done for black people? Black people have done for black people. Okay? Black people, indigenous people, people of color, we have done. We have fought for our survival. Now, if there's white folks out there who are like, but I do help, I help. We know, we're thankful, we're happy that you're here. That's not my point. My point is, <laughs> is do you see your investment in white supremacy? My point is, black folks having to forgive and forget without white folks' accountability to the everyday investment into white supremacy. I think we gotta look at it a little closer, y'all. You know, I think that we do forgive black folks in general. I mean, I think we're pretty good at it. We, we don't be forgetting, though. Let me tell you the real truth. We do not forget. And when you're wondering why the, sh the things that you're doing don't work, the intention and the impact don't line up is because we didn't forget. <laughs> we're looking at y'all floundering. We're looking at that situation where like, oh, they didn't do the work. They don't get it. We're, we forgive them because, you know, white supremacy. But we're not forgetting the fact that you, you're not doing the work. It's clear in your choices. And here we are, still working to keep this country moving forward without the benefits, without the full benefits to our people. It's getting better, 
because why? What makes it better right now? It's just re-articulated. It's just, it's just different. I don't know. Obviously, it's funny people don't look back in history because, you know, history wasn't my favorite class either. But you know what? When you look back in history and you start to see how this is just a repeating conundrum of stupidity driven by white supremacy, it's frustrating. That's all I'm saying. And <laughs> to forgive and forget, I think when it comes to an intimate personal relationship, it's a little, it's, it's up to you. It's up to how your value system around who you feel is safe in your, home, your own personal bubble, your own personal alignment with how you value yourself and others, a boundary. When it comes to society, how much is it different? So I love you guys are having all these kinds of comments in this system, and I can't, like, I'm going, I'm not reading all of them because I was talking my butt off, but um, I want to go back through and look at the comments that you guys did. Uh, my dad, black folks co-opted the dreams of white folks without their permission. Uh, without white folks' permission, dad, or without, uh, what do you mean by co-opted the I mean, I get that, but I don't know with whose permission that you're talking about. And then this is forgiveness is powerful. It is actually about the person who is doing the forgiving, not the person who fucked up. Um, yeah, no, totally. Letting go of anger and pain as much as possible. But forgiving is dangerous because it decreases our ability to defend ourselves. Forgetting someone is violent or hurtful, for example, means we may not uh, let that person in again or drop our guard around them. And that's Franz Miller, and thank you, Franz. So let's take that bigger to society. Can we do it? Can we make it bigger to society and talk about that in terms of um, the trust that is being uh, insisted upon by the white institutions of black folks and the level of trust that black folks have given the institution um, in order to get by? Uh, I'm wondering with our with my community how much trust do we actually have in it like I know people to this day who don't have money in banks you know uh, who won't go to the doctor and if they have to go to the doctor they are terrified you know women black women who will not go uh, to a gynecologist for for health for uh, women's health I know 2020 won't go uh, so how does that how does that happen how do we not how when, when can we get to the point where there's trust built again how does that work you know is it up to us to 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 wait for trust to be to be earned back what do we do in the meantime i mean you know it doesn't have to be tragic it's like we're doing it now i just want people to look at the situation being like while you want to jump to being anti-racist and while you want to jump to be supportive of all the black folks you know or seen or thought that you heard of um, and not know that uh, what, we're, what, you're, what we're insisting on as a community or as a society, just as we've got Kamala in the White House now and people are like, oh, we got a black woman in the White House before we have a white woman in the White House. Um, I guess, you know, but at the same time, uh, we had Barack, right? And we know what happened after that. We cannot act like this is not a problem because some of us are cool. Some of us are happy. 
there's not enough of us to, to say that this is what the society stands for. The society does not stand for anti-racism. We have got to swallow that pill, right? We cannot keep pretending like as I walk into the restaurant and my white friends don't understand that I'm walking into a possibly racist situation, most likely eight times out of 10 in this country that that's what's happening. And then when I act like I'm supposed to be relaxed, I've learned from my ancestors, I've learned from my father, I've learned from my mother, I've learned from my grandmother how to, how to be in white spaces with grace and not fight and not be angry and not hold on to resentment. White, black folks do that. Black magic is a thing. To not be angry at this level of abuse and still be aware of the abuse, and still teach around the abuse, and still to be gracious within it, and to, what are we doing? We're surviving. And we do it like, I don't even know how to describe what it means for this community, for black folks all around the world, to do what we do with the level of beauty and grace that we do it in. White folks, come on, man, y'all can step up and do this. Y'all can be uncomfortable. Because on the other side of it is actual inclusivity, is actual growth. Like not just the, the, I don't know, personal inflated, conflated sense of higher thought that only serves yourself. You know, the level of cultural bypassing, spiritual bypassing that it takes to be present with yourself, that doesn't help you. I don't know. I'm feeling weird about it. Maybe I should have had my kind son come on and tell and and talk to talk me down off of the the everyone has to, you know, fight this fight. Um, and I know that everyone doesn't have to, and I, and I definitely understand that we all are coming from our own perceived spaces of help, our own perceived spaces of need, our own perceived spaces of power. I get that. Um, and so forgiving people for not getting here faster um, is a point of, like I said before, grace you've heard it but I cannot forget it if it continues to move forward in the same way in which it has gone on for hundreds of years my daughter my youngest daughter who will be 17 in like two weeks just at, she was like wait when was the Holocaust she's like hold on the Holocaust happened Nana was alive <laughs> I was like she was a little bitty girl and she was like, why do they make it sound like it was in like, you know, 400 years ago? And I was like, hey, I don't know why they make it sound like it was 400 years ago, because it wasn't. <laughs> she was like, hold on. She started looking at it, she goes, why do we talk about it? Like it never, like it was so long ago. It was just a couple, like, like Nana was here. She was like flabbergasted because she looked at the time frame and she looked at the, and she said, hold on. Why is it narrated to us as if it was some mystical, Somebody else, way long time ago, we have no control or connection to now. It was be because they're bypassing responsibility. 
we're bypassing true history so that we don't have to address the oppression and that we don't have to address the benefit that they are receiving through the privilege. We don't have to look at it because if we look at it, then it all falls apart and equity might come through. That is against what we built this country on. And I'm just not, I'm not like, like poo-pooing on it. I'm just saying, can we look at it so that we can really get to true forgiveness as a country? Can we recognize it and just go, yeah, we, that was jacked up. We got to put the real story in here and we're sorry that it's taken this long. We got to redo these books. We got the education system. We got to put the Native American's voice back in there. We got to put the black voices back in there. Like, what are we doing? Ah, then we can start to talk about forgiveness. Other than that, we all out here just surviving it. We're just surviving. And we're losing people. We're losing real human connection because of it. Here we go into Thanksgiving. Here we go into 2020. It showed us a lot. And I don't know who has been able to stand up to their, their white family or who has been able to stand up. And not, like I said, this is not about fighting. This is about being heard. But this is also about listening and then making a decision about who that person is in, in, in terms of your value system and then standing up for your value system and making a boundary around it. And then living within that boundary with integrity. That's all, you know, it's hard, it's hard. I'm going through the com comments again. Centuries of collective trauma and continued to gaslight. White folks should be regularly acknowledging this and never ask the black community for forgiveness or forgetfulness. Um, and then white folks need to take up the work of never forgetting. We need to take lessons from Germany after the Holocaust. Um, yeah, South Africa is a good place too. Um, yeah, so there's that. And then our planet is suffering because of what most white folks call progress. And it continues, our planet cannot forgive it. Uh, will and is reacting to this neglect, everlasting. Ain't that the truth? Because we ain't at the helms of this. Black folks, BIPOC folks, we're not, we're not at the helms of this, <laughs> okay? Yet we're being included in everything of it like as if we were part of it. We're not, we're not there. You've not allowed us to, to give our, our centuries of wisdom to correct the white supremacy, the plague that is white supremacy. No one asked us, okay? No one asked. Uh, forgiving a gift to yourself yes it is and I think that that is uh, there's another term for this for how black folks have learned to and, and I'm not saying it is forgiveness but we have learned to move about the country um, move about our lives in order to survive it um, and like I said the the trauma the trauma of some of us not surviving it still rings completely to our core for those who are still standing completely to our core, we are exhausted. Let's see, uh, forgive and forget is mental slavery too. Yeah, that's coming from my sister Naima. Uh, meant to allow to abuse to continue and be argued about, straight up, right? Uh, we need to act because Trump's base now feels embold emboldened to act out wherever they are 
I wish Biden a happy birthday. I know today was his birthday, is it? And got a ton of hate responses. Oh, when you wished Biden happy birthday, you got a ton of hate uh, responses from his base. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is nothing. I mean, this is the thing. Black folks aren't here with white folks about the the awe and the clutching of pearls when it comes to whiteness or the or Trump's base. Okay. They are not a surprise to us. Okay, we've always known that they were there. So the clutching of pearls that comes along with uh, the uh, the audacity of this white supremacy and white hatred and violence that's coming through is not what you're going to get from black people or BIPOC folks. Um, that's a white response to this because you guys are now seeing it. What you're going to get from us is fatigue. We're tired. We're tired. Um, and what I am having a hard time with forgiving is, is the level of white folks who still have excuses for it. You know, we start talking about the level of white women who are voting for, who voted for Trump. And the first, a lot of the comments that came through was that, oh, you know, it has to do with domestic violence and it has to do with all of this and it has to do with all that. And I thought to myself, or, <laughs> or it's just racism. Truth of it is, is that I don't want to lean against or lean, you know, against the idea that, um, that, Domestic violence is obviously a national crisis for women of all color. But what I don't want to do is immediately give white women a pass because they're white women. And that that just means for some reason that there's this level, higher level of fragility and, and that we need to be patient and that we need to allow them to come to have their come to Jesus moment. I, I, I can't do that. Now, I can be kind and because I am a teacher in which I am doing the racism work that I do. I am patient, but I am not going to forgive a whole society of gaslighting so that I have to believe that the white woman sitting next to me has more leverage to understand the pain of others than I do while experiencing it. That's all I'm saying. So let's see, white folks can't even speak to their own abuse. It's uncomfortable. If someone calls it out, the inflammation is enormous. Yes, Tara, yes, um, is enormous. And if you could just imagine what it must be like uh, everyone's idea is of uh, is forgiveness, but that simply means I don't want any inflammation. And that's all I'm saying to white folks is like, get into it, get into it. Conflict is not always negative if you're willing to listen and learn. That's all I'm saying. Get into it, y'all. All right. So yeah, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for, for me that I'm, I'm, it's a challenge for you that I'm asking you is to get into it, right? Don't fight about it, learn, listen deeply, and then make a real character decision, make an, a decision based on integrity of your values, how much you feel that you are actually, actually committed to what anti-racism really actually looks like. Not bypassing what's uncomfortable, 
you know, not excusing what hasn't been learned, what not, not, you know, challenging the status quo. All of that's necessary. And all I'm saying is that here we are in 2020 and I'm sitting right next to a white woman, not right now, but you know what I'm saying, sitting next to a white woman and I'm not given, I'm not given that moment to grieve. I'm not given that moment to explain why I don't know something. I'm not given that grace, you know, individually, perhaps, individually, maybe, you know, I live in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of white folks out here, a lot of white guilt happening. But all I'm saying is that that is not society's position for me versus a white woman. It's not society's position. We got to push. Individuals build this, right? So we got to push it. It's got to be an investment. Talk about forgive and forget. Like I said, think about all the soldiers. Think about all the women. Think about the black women in the suffrage movement who didn't even have the right to vote, but yet were, were the biggest numbers of supporters out there marching black women. Hmm. But yet we didn't get the benefit of the vote for years to come. I'm talking years to come. So that's all I'm saying. Like we're out here. We're out here. Listen. Be willing to hear the words. Be willing to do the work so trust can be built. So forgiveness can actually happen. So we can grow. Everyone can grow. Real, true forgiveness can be given. Not a, a forgiveness that lets us get to work the next day. You know? Not the forget part that, you know, says, yeah, okay, we got it. You know? But we can actually say, you know what? Homie tried. Homie's here. He's trying. He's doing it. Every day he tries. Every day he's working at it. That builds trust. Then we can start talking about some real change in society and who we are as a people. Black folks don't walk into a, a bank and be like, yeah, this is my ho- these are my plans. No. Unless everybody's black and everybody, <laughs> you know, the, the bank is owned by black. But we're, not, we're, not, we're not safe here. And we know it. This is not something that's new to us. We are working with it. Trust has not been established at a core level to where we don't have to wonder if we're welcome here or not. Is it safe or not? Can I raise my son here or not? If we're still asking those questions, forgive and forget what? So anyway, I got to go too. I love y'all. I think y'all are amazing. I am going to put the link in to the COVID response for the Hopi and Navajo Nation in Arizona as a thank you for flipping Arizona all around. Um, I think that we need to, I'm trying to get some link information to folks in Georgia um, for flipping that state. Uh, so that we can help put some money to the campaigns for the Senate race that's happening in January. We have got to get uh, Democrats, black folks, people of color into the Senate. Um, And so there are some races where we can, you know, uh, send some money there as well. And I'm going to put that in the show notes. So look for that. This is a podcast and a radio show. 
And so, um, and obviously a Facebook live feed. So you can catch me on Black Girl from Eugene on any podcast. Could you guys like comment and like it and like star it? Because I don't have any reviews. It looks sad. I'm on Instagram, Black Girl from Eugene. Um, I only have like 800 followers and I really want a thousand because it just seems like it's more legit. But I love every single part of my followers and I started it from scratch. I have not bought followers. So I'm super excited about that. Thank you for supporting me there patreon.com forward slash black girl from Eugene underscore one is where you can drop five dollars to support the podcast ten dollars to hear my videos my extra special private videos and um and that sounded weird but anyway I'm (laughs) I have one video so far I'm uploading another one Uh, merchandise should be available um at my website blackgirlfromeugene.org and I believe that is all. Thank you so much, Tara and Julia. And uh, I think that's Carlina. Please tune in to Erin and Precious and my dad and my sister and everybody else who I didn't name but who are here. I am so happy to see you every single freaking week. And please come back next week. I will be here with a group, um, a BIPOC group of uh, folks from Salem. They are called Black Joy. Check out their Facebook page, and we will be here via um, split screen. I'm excited. Y'all know I'm scared because I don't do uh, <laughs> I don't do electronics very well, but hopefully it'll work out. I'm gonna practice, and I will see you next week. Yes, I do have a PayPal and a Venmo, um, uh, but <laughs> yes, I do. And the PayPal is my personal email. Uh, so I don't really give that out unless you're going to DM me and Venmo. Uh, yes, as well. And it's Aisha Elliott. It's um, Aisha dash Elliott dash one at Venmo. Um, and like I said, the Patreon is uh, something that's pretty easy to set up, too. So there is my Venmo. And Aisha is spelled A-Y-I-S-H-A. If you guys don't see that on the podcast, dash Elliot with two L's and two T's dash one is my Venmo. Thank you for asking about that. I appreciate you all. And I will see you next week again with black joy. And I hope you guys have a introspective day of mourning this Thursday and please wear your masks and stay as responsible about it as we can. Just a little longer to go. All right. Love you. This is Aisha black girl from Eugene.